0: Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer.
1: Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky.
2: Okay, I got no time to waste here. In honor of the ESPN-FPI, I'm keeping my hot take to under 5.5 seconds.
1: Alright, I'm also with Mac...
3: Hello, Redcasters. Just letting you all know I'm playing through a little bit of pain tonight. Doc says you can't mix painkillers and alcohol, but they can't control me.
1: (laughs) Is that an Oasis song? I'm pretty sure that's an
0: Oasis song. Um, And I'm also with Boomer. Well, I'd just like to announce that uh, Honky and his staff have done an outstanding job this season with over 32 podcasts. And that type of performance certainly merits an extension of his contract as the leader of our podcast program and been very impressed with his energy and passion that uh, Honky provides, as well as his commitment to the staff and all the men on our team.
1: <laughs> I, I could compare Honky's performance to Tim Miles' uh, uh, season as well, so it makes a lot of sense that he gets a contract extension as leader of this podcast. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh all right, guys. Well, uh, we are going to talk a lot of football tonight. Maybe we will touch a little bit on uh, basketball and baseball, but uh, those aren't quite as positive as what we're hearing out of uh, spring camp. Uh, some of us were fortunate to go to the coaches' clinic this weekend. Uh, Honky, you want to fill us in a little bit on uh, on that? Uh, yeah, Dave. Uh,
2: this was. Uh, it's my 16th consecutive coaches' clinic that I've made it to here this weekend that is impressive thank you yeah well it spans from the very last one with coach solich where where pelini was introduced and all the way through the callahan pelini years as a head coach and then riley and now frost mac you've been there with uh with me through most of them um i would say by far this was the best clinic that i've been to overall just from start to finish i think from the the overall involvement of the coaches uh, that's something that uh, I'll be able to take away from it uh, towards my own teams and practices, you know, on a smaller scale, of course. But it all started with Frost, and it started from the first minute. Uh, a traditional coaches clank in the past, the head coach comes out there for 10, 15 minutes at the beginning, kind of does the uh, obligatory introductions, and Frost, that wasn't it at all. He really ended up being the keynote speaker. He was scheduled for 45 minutes. I think he went on for over an hour. And really just the the amount of care and and everything that you can tell that it means something to them to have Nebraska coaches there, Um, you know, and that's just something that, you know, again, and as you mentioned, Dave, I mean, I felt very fortunate on our end that we were able to get in there. We got there, uh, signed up pretty early. And after the fact, that's when you started seeing some of the stuff where they're going to try to keep it down to high school coaches, I think going forward and only high school coaches. But um, if you are a midget football coach, a little league coach, Uh, I did want to mention that they talked about that they're going to be doing some summer camps for youth. Coach Held mentioned that. And uh, they're going to have two of them on the 2nd and the 9th. And there will be potentially they might be doing a a, uh, coaches clinic for youth coaches with that too. They're going to have some more information coming out. So if we hear anything, we'll post that as well. Heck, we'll probably be going to that as well. But uh, all in all,
1: great weekend. Outstanding. Very cool. I think that's a really – really good point, Hawk, in the sense that um, it seems like this coaching staff is sincere in their interest in uh, helping uh, Nebraska uh, high school football coaches to really uh, advance their programs and help um, overall uh, football in the state. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, so let's uh, break this down and I think this has enough um, material to do both offense and defense. So let's uh, go right into scoring explosion scoring explosion the offensive breakdown and uh, this mainly will be a a, a mac and, and honky segment here but um, I'm sure you guys saw a lot of, of great stuff there from the offensive side of the ball uh, Mac maybe why don't you uh, kick us off with maybe i don't know from the QB perspective or, or maybe other outstanding performers that you saw over the weekend
3: yeah, I mean it was it was super exciting to get to go to this coaches clinic. I know we were all, you know, every year we talk about it being the best coaches clinic of all time, but this one really kind of lived up <laughs> to the hype. Um, be, this one to me was so geared towards this coaching staff helping out these high school coaches staff. You know, I've seen I've been going to these for a while too, and I think my first one was Solich's last one as well. And and you've seen different degrees of what they're trying to get done. Like there was years there were just a ton of vendors there trying to sell you stuff. And, and they'd have a lot of high school coaches from around the area come and talking about other things or how they run their program. But this one from the start was, here's our coaches, here's what we do, and, and let's get you guys involved in this as much as possible. You can tell that relationship building is something that they really, really wanted to do. So we kind of split it up, and I went more towards the offensive side of things. Um, I spent a lot of time with uh, Held and uh, Verduzco, which I really, really appreciated, just getting to know these guys, their, their personalities and whatnot. Uh, Verduzco's a killer, man. He, is just, he was so much fun to, to hang out with and just watch him work. Um, you can tell, and I, I know Honky and I talked about this too, you know, with the quarterback position, which is his, his position, Coach. Um, McKenzie Milton, when you watched him last year, and they, he'd make all these different throws, you know, the announcers were quick to point out his baseball background, and that, that being the reason he can deliver the ball in so many different and unique ways, and, and how accurate he was on the run, and I, I, I myself thought the same thing, and it was a concern going into this year with our with our quarterbacks, but... If you listen to Verduzco, that is something he drills into these guys from day one moving on the run, throwing on the run, and and getting good body mechanics in the same time. You know, he acknowledged the fact that, yes, you have to teach these guys to drop back and throw with balance and and deliver the ball properly. But then he also says, but that's maybe like 10% of the time. You know, it's not really that realistic to think you're going to always have a clean pocket. Certainly, That's a, we know Tanner that Lee, for a fact, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I think Tanner Lee would would have probably appreciated a few of those techniques, you know. Um, but but even throwing back across his bo- a bo- the body of a quarterback, which you know is like a is voodoo, you know, out there in the world of, of quarterback play, he's like, nope, if you do it with the right mechanics, it's totally reasonable to do. So you know that was kind of my biggest takeaway is the, these coaches practice the way the game will be presented to them and that is from the top down that is the mentality they preach so you know situational football there's no surprises they the way they structure their practice the way they structure their workouts the way they structure their drills is how is this going to look in the game how will this translate into a game and and that was so impressive and so apparent throughout the entire practice throughout the entire scrimmage every drill i uh, wouldn't you agree with that honk yeah, I, I think
2: it's a general theme of the of the the weekend that I would take away is that the drills and the things that they work on always seem to have a real football-related kind of element to it. it. There's not a wasted thing. They're not doing a drill just to do it. There's always a football piece that they can relate it to, down to how they practice. I mean, they talk about how they'll practice hard here for five minutes, ten minutes, and then there might be a, a five-minute period where, where it's a learning period and you're not running as fast, you're not running as hard, and that mirrors how a football game is played. You're not on the field 100% of the time. You're going hard when your side of the ball is on it, and when you're not, you're on the sideline. And everything's kind of meant to reflect something that, that they're seeing. Um, as far as the offense you know, goes, I think they have a very clear philosophy that, that again, offense and defense is consistent on, and, and it's ball control on offense, keeping the ball, not turning it over. Uh, every drill, I mean, they're holding on to that ball and they're 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 preaching that. And if you were going through, they didn't do a lot of like warm up stuff at the beginning of practices. That's not really how they how they do it. They they do a zero period they call it before practice, and it just kind of blends in. And, and guys, the the blood's pumping by the time the practice is starting. But they did have one period, like maybe about ten minutes in, where they went through a few kind of traditional, you know, ten yard warm up kind of things. And every guy is holding a ball because you're not going to drop a ball when you're going through those motions, whether that was kind of a bear crawl thing or just some of the different steps. That's something I'm going to take away, and I'm going, to, I'm going to incorporate that into the practices I'm running. I want guys holding balls as often as they possibly can because I think there's a real football correlation to that. If you're dropping it just doing something random, you're going to drop it on the field. And defensively, when we get to that later, they did some things along those along that same side to get the ball out. They want to get that ball away from the from the uh, the opponents to get it back to the offense. So, anyways, uh, I just think everything meshes really well together. They they there seems to be a good flow between position groups between offense and defense, and and I think that just it starts from the top.
1: Honky, you want to maybe expand on that a little bit on maybe talking about uh, how the, I mean the complexity of uh, the 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 practice in the sense that I mean you really the advantage of having a coaching staff that's, you know, been together now for into its third year and not just the top, the the 10 actual assistants, but even all the, it feels like the GAs and et cetera that are are involved in putting you on that type of uh, activity.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I think really it, I couldn't imagine as we were watching that practice and as crisp as it was for being only practice number nine, I think it was for them, as crisp as it was i think at one point we kind of said to each other i can't imagine how you would do this if you were starting over from scratch or you didn't have kind of a full staff in place that had been working together before Uh, there's just so much going on but they you could tell that the plan was so well in place it was so scheduled out that they they knew how to run this practice where you're just going from station to station it's all flowing very quickly but um but that staff is on the same page and there's a couple of things that, that Frost mentioned, and he never called out ever a previous staff in the process, but I couldn't help in my own mind but go back to previous staffs when he was saying a couple of things. One of the things he talked about is is if you want to get into tempo, if you want to go fast, you know you got to cut that verbiage down. You've got to be able to, in the course of, of running tempo, it's better to have 12 formations and four plays than... Than four formations and 12 plays. You know, we, we want to be able to do less plays but do them really well. And if you do some window dressing and stuff, that's fine in front of it, but get really good at it. And then when you're going to call a play, he referenced back to something that Chip Kelly used to talk about. If you go to McDonald's, you can go and get a quarter pounder with cheese and, oh, I'll get ketchup and mustard and I'll also get some pickles and, and onions and then I'll get a, a medium fry. And then I want And by the time you say all that stuff, there's no way that <laughs> you're not going to be running tempo if you're asking for all that. So what I Chip think I'm Kelly says is, that guy
3: in line actually. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Chip Kelly says it doesn't matter. You,
3: they're just going to give you something anyway. They never get the order <laughs> right. It's but keep going.
2: But if you're going to get it right, what Chip Kelly says is what you do is you call it the you know you ask for number two, supersize with with diet coke. There you go. You just got everything. You got everything you wanted, and you got it in about three words. Now as as I'm going through all that, or as Frost was going through all that. In my mind, all I could think of was there's no way Callahan could have run tempo because that entire West Coast offense that we ran back there, it, it was almost like a, in the West Coast world, I've heard John Gruden talk about it. It's almost like a you know, a, a, thing of pride is if we can add 10 more words to a play, that makes it better. Well, no, not in this case now. You're <laughs> not going to be running that. The other thing that, that Frost mentioned was just how they were going to talk and communicate with each other on the staff when, you're, when you have the headsets on. We're going to be cool and calm on those sidelines. We're going to be cool and calm with how we talk to players. It's just a philosophy. He wasn't calling out anyone from before, but in my head, all I could think of was, boy, that's different from Pelini years. <laughs> I'll tell you that.
3: So, I don't know. Mac, yeah. what do you think? You know, the other, the other point I'd like to make about that, you know, he talked about tempo, and and that does come from the head down. You know, they all figure out his, you know, he talked about when an opposing coach came in, observed a practice and then observed some meetings. He's like, well, why do you run your meetings so slow if your practices are so fast paced? And he's like, you know, what? took it to heart. I thought about it. I changed it. So my practices become more like pop quizzes because that's how much time you have on the field is to understand the play. So you ask the question, that guy doesn't get it. And eh, next guy and eh, next guy. And until that becomes the mentality you work with, your mind is going to work that fast. You know, he talked about learning his call sheet. He memorizes it, you know, the week before the game. And he has Coach Held him on it so that they make sure that he's just as fast and just as quick as he's telling his team to be. You know, another interesting thing he talked about is, you know, going into the spring game, I love how much he, he lets his coaches coach. Like, he's not going to call the plays for the spring game. He's going to let these coaches coach on the sidelines so that everybody knows what they're doing. You know, there's two different guys on the sideline calling out plays or calling out signals. And I don't know which one they're watching, but the point is everybody has a role and everybody's doing this stuff. And it's all predicated on tempo, speed, efficiency, and stressing the defense out, which, you know, this is a system. I feel like this coaching staff, they feel like 10-year veterans to me the way they're running business, but it is so smooth. And you're right, Honk, because to, to... it is controlled chaos during that practice. It, it was—I mean—it was so much stimulation as, as just trying to be an observer of it. It was impossible. My head was spinning. I'm like, I'm <laughs> trying to watch, I'm trying to watch who's in this this offensive line grouping and who's the running back. And by the time that's done, and I think I have a hold up, they've blown a whistle, and it's it's the next set of guys. I'm like, man, everybody's getting reps. So you know, and I know we've talked about this before, but there's just going to be nowhere to hide on this team. If you're a talented player, you're going to shine through. Which yeah, I, is so fantastic. I, I gotta
2: tell you. I mean, I, I'm I'm curious on your thoughts on this, but I, I I agree with you here, Mac. I mean, I've I've been to practices. I've been to Osborne practices. I've been to every coach's practices since. And this, there was something weird and unique about how they ran this. Where I I call it sensory overload. They have the music blasting, and 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 you know, we're not breaking any news there. That's been something that's been been said in the papers, right? That they. They, they, they blare the music, and it's not just because the kids like the music. It's to give them a real-life feel of what a game is like. It's 90,000 people, and you've got to be able to look and visually see the calls coming in. And We're, you know, we're not going to have communication errors. What, what I thought was amazing was it would go from being this sensory overload, loud, people going all over the place, and then all of a sudden, boom, you hit one of those five-minute periods that was like a teaching moment. And all of a sudden, yeah. the music turns off, and it is almost dead quiet. It felt like that's you could true. hear a pin drop in there. And this I compare it back to maybe the Pliny years. The Pliny years, you'd have a, a practice, you'd have a play get done, and when a play would get done, nine position coaches would jump on their nine position mm-hmm. groups and there'd be mass chaos of yelling and this and this over each other and, and, and good or bad, that was just that's the philosophy of how that was done. Here it's so controlled. It was unreal. I, I've never seen anything like it. It just went from sensory overload to quiet. And there's mm-hmm. people doing stuff, and there's there's learning going on. There's moments on the field where, where they aren't just you know running, you know like you know checking with his head cut off kind of the thing. But then <laughs> we, we teach them, and then boom, music is back on, and now it's it's chaos again, right? I mean it's 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 sensory overload and running. Um, I just how they structured the practice, I I, I was blown away by.
1: I hear you. You know, it makes me think. Uh, it, from a how how does this trickle down to Nebraska high schools and youth football in general? Uh, you know, in in your past as a head coach, Honky, you've you've employed some offensive schemes that may have come from Nebraska or or, or other college um, uh, uh, offenses, and and do you feel like this system will be adopted by youth football and, and high school football in Nebraska more readily than our, our last couple of head coaches, and 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 how can that have an impact going forward? I, I definitely think it can be implemented, and that's a good starting
2: point. For instance, just to, to pick on the Callahans or to pick on the Rileys, that West Coast style, it was always going to be hard to implement a Nebraska-style QB into that offense at the high school level, right? So, I mean, we were it was going to be harder sure. for Nebraska to develop that. It was going to be harder for Nebraska to develop a left tackle, you know, the state yeah, of Nebraska. Yeah, it's not just the
1: quarterbacks. Offensive linemen is that. Yeah, that's it form. was
2: harder for receivers for Nebraska. All, all of that, right? Well, this, this offense, and I guess since we're still talking just offense right now, I'll just stick to that. This offense definitely lends itself better to probably what local talent is. Vedrill being a perfect example of that. In fact, Frost, when he was showing a few things from UCF, showed a play where Vedril completes the ball to Alex Harris from Carney. So at UCF last year, there was an example, and he he highlighted just to you know to to talk to the Nebraska high school coaches out there. He's like, "Look at this play. I love this. This is a Nebraskan to a Nebraskan on a pass play down there in, in Florida." And he's that like, was "That was
3: cool." When he pointed that yeah, out, it we're going to have
2: more cool. of these here in Nebraska. I mean, and you know everyone just kind of you know you eat that stuff up, but. But they're not—they're not just telling you something that's—they're not just saying it just to make you feel good. He's showing tangible, like this is what we've done. We had to go 2,000 miles to do it. Now we're doing it here. So, um, I think that there's a, a lot of things that this offense lends itself well to—to to local players, local talent, and—and uh, and I think the tempo thing. This is the thing that I'm—I've done some of these things. Gosh, I, I don't even like trying to compare like what I'm doing to like what Frost is doing. It sounds stupid. <laughs> oh come on! Well, well but
3: let's face it. You were doing it before Frost. <laughs> you were coach before he, was doing it. yeah, Frost. But is he's doing borrowing doing from you. Yeah,
2: but I, I, one thing I, I always liked doing, I loved running a lot of formations. And it, I, whether it was f- for anyone that doesn't know a lot about like midget football in Lincoln, we don't have junior high football at the at the Northeast and Lincoln High and all that. So midget football in Lincoln is fourth through eighth grade, basically. So um, I I Foundations, y'all. Yeah, so I mean, we, we would have, I mean, there were years I took 20 coaches to this thing. <laughs> Pliny one time called us out and he goes, my God, Elks has like 20 coaches here because I was the athletic director and I had seven or eight staffs and 150 to 170 players. I mean, we were, you know, it was great to get that right. many coaches in there. Um, what I, What I liked about running a lot of formations back then, was it, it's kind of the window dressing thing. I mean, we would only run four or five plays sometimes out of it, but if you give them a different look, it's almost like a brand-new play, just formation-wise. I was thinking about the Florida game, when Osborne against Florida, and Terry Donahue and Sean McDonough, I think, were doing the game, and there's a point that we line up in a five-receiver set, and and Terry Donahue comes out and says, they're running Florida's offense. Well, no, we weren't. We just lined up in a, in a formation, but the formation was five-wide, and so they immediately say, that's the Florida offense. No, what we ended up doing was Tommy Frazier goes and does a QB trap, essentially. Well, if you look at it, if you, if you look at how the play is set up, all it is, it's a fullback trap without the fullback or the I back on the field. There's no eye right. formation. It's just a, we spread the defense out, which that made the, the middle of the defense all the, all the more open. Mm-hmm. And then from a timing standpoint, if you're a lineman, when Aaron Taylor goes and pulls on the trap, he doesn't care if it's a fullback getting it or whatever. It's just to to them, it, they're just running the same play they've always run. Tommy takes a step back. And if you notice, we ran it twice. The first time he ran it, he didn't quite step far enough back, and he got hit in the, hit in the side pretty good from Taylor, but didn't fall over and got about 10 yards. Second time he runs it, he takes the step back. Taylor goes in front of him, and it runs to perfection. There's The middle of the field's cleared out because of the window dressing, because of the formation. And Tommy goes untouched for forty some yards. It's a fullback trap, except you have an all-American quarterback running it instead of a fullback. I mean that that is at its basis, that is window dressing, pre-tempo, pre—you know there wasn't a whole bunch of formation right. shifts and stuff. Yep. But Osborne basically just made Florida lose the lose the play before they even snapped the ball. Right, and so that's you're
1: telling me that Frost is influenced by Osborne.
2: There is a chance that one of the guys on top of you know we don't have to go through his entire resume but man that that talk about a guy who maybe has a couple of good offensive uh offensive mentors there and yeah I think Osborne might be one of them.
1: Yeah, all right. Good stuff, good stuff. You know, right. I, I would
3: be interested ahead, to ask Frost just one it, you know if he took the job when he went to when he went to Oregon. Did he pick Oregon because he was really interested in chip Kelly's offense or did it just happen to be that's where he learned his offense from, you know what I mean? Like I'd be curious if it, he seems like a pretty calculated guy. I think we've all said that in the past, but there must be, there must've been an element to that, that he just thought, man, this is, this is what I want to learn. This is how I want to. And then, you know, taking the elements from the Osborne thing too. That's just a good point. No,
1: absolutely. Um, you know, he was just an, uh, uh, an assistant coach or coordinator at a, you know, uh, FBS school, Northern Iowa yeah. wasn't like uh, the there wasn't other uh, viable candidates to be a receivers coach at Oregon besides Scott Frost. He obviously interviewed very well there, um, which is again, not a surprise, but he, he definitely had a, a conscious effort to, to interview for the position. So yeah, it's a great question, Mac.
2: You know, one thing I do kind of like about what we're chatting right now, because this is on we're still in our offensive segment. I kind of like that we haven't gone too deep into like individual players right now and stuff because A, that really, honestly that's not what we're there for, we're there to to watch this and try to glean what can we take from it and and incorporate into the practices and drills and stuff that we do but even having said that, sometimes I think whether it's, I'll pick on the media for a second, but it's easy to go to one practice and feel like you see something and like, oh well now I, because I saw one practice, clearly this guy is the best or clearly that guy isn't the best and I don't feel like even though we got to see a lot, or we got to see a lot of reps and stuff, I don't necessarily walk away from this one practice feeling like, oh, well, this is clearly the player at this. It's just, it's one practice, and and I'm, I can't wait to go and see the the spring game and get that second one in and see if maybe some of the things that are in my head about some players, I want to get another chance to to see how they they look at you know a second time out there in front of ninety thousand people. But but all in all, I I don't have individual players really that, that to talk about. It was just more the the process the, the the whole the whole way that every the, from how the coaches talk to each other how they talk to the players how the practice ran
3: i just was really pleased with what i saw overall uh, to that point matt and i and i do agree with you and i'm not going to try to break anything down based off of it but you know going into this my biggest question mark and we talked about this earlier was do we have the quarterbacks in our system are they athletic enough to mm-hmm. run what they do or what they did at UCF. And without diving in too deep on any of that, I saw enough from each of them to say yes. I mean, yeah. now, now, to what level of efficiency, painkillers, will that be? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. But I saw enough, like, you know, get out of the pocket plays and throw on the move from each of the guys to go, Ah, you know, this, there, there's enough talent back there to make this offense work. Now, I don't know. I'm not saying McKenzie Milton or anything like that, but, but, you know, that was my biggest question, you know, because running backs, wide receivers, offensive line, those guys, they're pretty portable in terms of system. And, mm-hmm. and I really think sure. wide receiver-wise we were strong. Um, but, but quarterback, you know, I think we'll be fine. It'll just be a matter of who learns it the best, who runs it the most efficiently. Yeah, and things about efficiency, right?
1: Uh, end of the day, offense has to, has to go through that quarterback
3: throw the bones
1: the defensive breakdown uh let's just keep the momentum guys let's uh it's a fast paced thing right we don't need to take a break we keep it, need moving, to go, keep go, it go, moving go 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 right? go right let's go to fast feet uh, feet. right so i mean i think we've got a pretty good feel of, from from the offensive side there of what was going on and in, in practice and whatnot but um what do you think from uh the defensive coaches and uh what they uh talked to you guys about with chander and and the position coaches uh, about the the black shirts coming up here next season. Again, I'm gonna go
2: back to the, what the how they did the setup of this clinic, and what one of the reasons why I feel it's the best one I've been to was just how they did the coaches, and very specifically here to the defense, I went and saw Dewitt and I saw Dawson. And to to give the listeners a little bit of, of background, there are years where some of the position coaches maybe didn't do any kind of drills or didn't do any kind of discussion. And a lot of it was high school coaches talking this year, specifically this year, they came out and after Frost talked and then after Duvall talked, those two talked to the, to the entire group as a whole. Then they started breaking things down into the positions and they would go for about 45 minutes on the chalkboard in a classroom and then there'd be a small break and then now you're going out to the to the outdoor fields and we are applying what we learned in the in the classroom out there on on the field. So I mean, you were getting two sessions with that one specific coach if you wanted it. And the only the thing that went into my mind was I thought about that first week of practice how they did it on a Friday of spring ball so that they could get all that meeting time in and how they walked away from it and said, "Wow, we we had such a great first practice cuz these guys really knew what they were doing." Well, I don't know about you guys, but I felt that way. I felt like once you got done with 45 minutes of watching the coach on the on the chalkboard, showing some videos, talking about things, maybe he'd give out a keyword that they would they would use in a certain instance, and you're learning all this, and then you get out there onto the actual field, and now he's applying it in a drill, and that same word comes up or just whatever it was. It was like I could see how you could you could translate from that transition from classroom to field. I can see how that speeds things up and that speeds up the learning. Um, and so I know that's not defensive specific, but it was, I guess for me, I was very impressed with DeWitt and Dawson, the two coaches that I was following and listening to. And, and I, re- again, it was a process thing. I really liked how they took it from
1: classroom to field. I think that's a really good point, Hawk. I think that, um, you know, maybe, maybe the coaches come mirrored, uh, how they're doing some of their position, uh, um practice uh breakouts so that's really good stuff
3: mac what did you see on that side of the ball i didn't i didn't i gotta tell you man this was one of those clinics i wish i could i could have split myself in half and caught everybody because they were all really good i saw a little bit of do and from what i saw i liked um but speaking about what i watched on the defense on on saturday kind of like what we talked about on offense having the ball as a component of every drill if you watch the defensive drills every single one of them at the end of it there was a there was a component of stripping the ball or getting the ball out intercepting the ball they had this tip drill that they were running where they'd throw it and somebody would tip it and the guy behind him would try to catch it so it's not just it's not just Chenander running around, going, we need the ball, we need the ball. You know, they are practicing it. They're throwing it around, teaching these guys actually not to dive on it and roll on it, but to scoop it and go. You know, they're practicing these techniques so these guys in the game get the ball back because their number one thing is we need to get the ball to our offense to score points, and that is that is so pervasive throughout everything they do um, that I would be shocked if our if our turnover margin isn't considerably better next year. Tanner Lee being gone alone should help the points. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I love good you, point. Tanner Lee, and I think you're a sleeper. Anyway, um, right. <laughs> so that was, that was a big, big part of it for me. I saw that being uh, so stressed and so important, these guys, that um, to me, you know, it's, it goes back to practicing how you want these guys to play. If you're going to say it, then you better drill it. And if you're going to drill it, be thoughtful in how you do it. And every single one of them, there were there. That's that's what I saw throughout the whole process. Yeah, um, and and if we're going position wise, and I don't have much to add to this, mm-hmm. but I thought our secondary looked more physical. Um, coming up, some of those guys were coming up and smacking guys, and this wasn't. You know, it was kind of hard to tell which which periods were full contact and which periods were just. I don't even really know, you know if it was just thumping. They would call it but there were some thumpers out there and coming up and and they seemed to enjoy contact some of them which uh, sadly I don't know that I could say I've seen the last 2 years but there are some guys on defense who want to bring pain and oh man that was just that was just about as pretty a thing as you could see
1: that's great to hear hockey maybe talk about that a little bit more with like maybe some of the the, the tackling uh maybe the the drills or the approach you feel like feel like uh, this team will be more physical this year yeah
2: i i i have been if you go back and listen to our original shows a year ago the very first ones uh, you know from the beginning i've always been the guy that's probably harped on me you have to be more physical you have to be more physical in practice and and i don't walk away from what we were doing feeling like that's going to be the issue i it's not overbearing we're not gonna beat the heck out of our guys for five straight days and then try to play a game it's not that but when they need to tackle they tackle when they need to have contact they have the contact when they when they need to use dummies and different you know god they had so many different things on the on the field that they could throw in front of a player to hit it was uh you know there's just a lot of options there but dewitt really he focused a lot on on the tackling and how they don't get the head across in the front and this is something i need to i need to think about how to incorporate this into into my own tackling drills here but i mean we've all kind of been taught stick head in front you know put the shoulder in wrap up and and i've always been kind of taught about how rugby tackling is the opposite of that but i've never really it's never really been explained very well to me and i haven't seen it very well like why would you not want to stick that head across don't you you know you don't want the player to 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 break out you want to you want to have your head in front of him and basically he's like it, if you stick your head in front of him and then he does like a cutback, I mean, you lose all this leverage on him. He can cut right back on you. He's like, you keep your head behind him and you go for the legs and you wrap up the legs. He goes, the guy's gonna, the guy's going to go down anyways. And it's, of course it's less contact on the head. And so they have drills, how they, they do that. They also, there's some, I, I'm, I'm going to take back some stuff I've said before. There's some two gap stuff that, that I think that, that they'll incorporate, but how they did it, um, where they, they had some drills where they, Oh geez. uh, Somewhere I have it written down like the exact verbiage of what they use. But I mean, basically, I mean, you're the arms are extended on a, on a pad and, and, and you're striking and then you're looking and then, and then they're going to the other side. So you're playing, you're playing both sides of that player, but how they taught it there. I I'm, I'm interested in maybe trying to, it's hard. It's hard at our level to incorporate that, but, it's still I
3: I liked how they were teaching it. It's not too much to ask the kids. <laughs> <laughs> the I mean, if you need to the, tie their shoes at, right before that play, is even better. At our level,
2: one gapping is hard. You know, so. <laughs> you know, but, but what's a true. gap? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we're coaching rookies versus the eighth graders, yeah, it's a difference. But. But anyway. All
1: right. All right. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, guys. Um. I don't know. I, I think that was a, a good, quick, fast
3: segment, uh, Max. One other thing on, on on the defensive side, and, and maybe just in general, because I keep hearing things about leadership and everything like that on the team, and the lack of it, or the lack of vocal leaders. Um, that well, that might be true right now. Um, I do believe we've got players on the team very capable of leadership, but I also think, you know, when you're in the process of learning something new yourself. It is very hard to then go ahead and say, you know, but come on, guys, do it like me. I mean, there's nobody saying, I'm doing it perfect. Short of Vedral, who's who's been doing this for a while, nobody's got this system down well enough. But if you look at a guy like Muhammad Barry, you know, and I watched him specifically on some drills, and... He just doesn't look like he's any fun to go up against in drills. He always hits harder than just about everybody else. He pops in there. He's a bit of a talker, you know. But I like that guy out there. You know, you give some of these guys some time to be in this in this defense and on the offense too, where Mm -hmm. where they are to the point where they can keep other guys accountable because they know they're doing it themselves. We have some leadership on this team, Um, so I, I wouldn't be too dissuaded by what I'm hearing right now. That stuff will come along. You know it speaks more to the coach's process of teaching these guys how to learn and how to learn quickly, which I do believe is happening. but once that takes a place and then we can start turning over some leadership to these guys, I think we'll be okay that will be when we take when that will be the light switch, right? That will be the time that we go from you know maybe five six wins to if that light comes on soon enough, seven to eight now I'm not predicting that I'm just saying. Sure, I wouldn't be surprised. Is that a prediction? No. That's all. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> you know, M- Mac, uh, you know, I think that's a really, really good point, and actually, kind of, uh, in kind of like um, expands the conversation here a little bit in the sense that uh, that that idea of uh, leadership and the it taking taking a while to actually get established is about kind of the you know the program as a whole and how long this is going to take and the other pieces and parts that go into this. Uh, this is a little bit more of a scarlet-colored glasses thing, but honky. I mean, uh, you heard Zach Duvall talk there, I think, and and others. I mean, what do you, what do you have the sense of uh, the the process? I guess maybe going forward. Scarlet-colored glasses.
2: I think that's a great segue there, Dave, because what I feel like this entire off season is is it's a stair step approach to the season, and if you take that first step, the first stair was really getting them started in January and going through about a six to eight week off season workout period. Right. And, and we started to see some bodies getting transformed and, and I don't need to go into all of them because the listeners, you know, you'll have a chance here in a couple of days, it's going to be on the spring game. You'll, you'll get to see these guys, but I saw offensive linemen that started to have less of a gut. And as a guy who maybe has just a tiny bit of a gut, I've had a couple of number twos (laughs) from McDonald's. Um, just physically, how you look, the offensive line, maybe those last few years, when you think back to the 90s guys, that, that they almost stood straight up tall, you know, and big shoulders and, and and not this big flabby gut hanging over. And the last couple of years, they just kind of, they, they'd start to crouch over. What I started to see, it's just the, it's the first step. It's the first stair step of it. But I started to see offensive linemen that were standing a little bit more, you know, a little up taller, right? They And that went about too deep. And that, it's just the start. Devall, when he was out there talking for an hour, and my God, was was he not unbelievable to listen to? He talked about getting things back to basically how they used to do it twenty years ago. In a lot of ways, it's about yeah, that power. It's about power. He goes, "This is it's about building strength, and, and you build strength by lifting a lot of weight, and that's yep. that's a way to build strength." And he that's showed interesting, and, and we keep hearing about before and after photos. He showed one just example with one guy. And the before and after sh- looked really good. And yet all that was was step one. And then step two is what we're going through in spring ball right now. It's a continuation of, of uh, conditioning, but now it's it's learning the systems. It's, it's starting to play football again with this new body that you didn't have eight weeks ago. And then once this is done, you start on stair step three. And that those guys that gained the 20 pounds or lost the 20, and maybe they still need to gain another 10 or they need to lose another 10. That's going to happen. I'm so confident that's going to happen with these guys in place. And that's kind of the – it's the stuff that falls outside of the offense or the defensive segment. It's, it's, it's part of the scarlet-colored glasses, just the the whole program in general. It, it, it all works together. The strength coach is working with that head coach. They are on the same page. It's not about calling out past people. I, last year, Riley and and Mark Phillips—if they weren't on the same page—you could almost look at it and go, geez, they barely worked with each other before they got to Nebraska." Again, right. a problem that we don't have to deal with right now. Like, let's take away all the, let's take away all the potential built-in excuses and just say, "Look, this, these are guys—they've worked together. They know what each other's, you know, what they want. They've seen it work. They've seen what doesn't work. And I think it helps to get things started off right." right number one and started off faster
1: sure i mean that, that goes to nutrition too right i mean with the, these diets i mean it, mm-hmm. it's it's from a to z essentially mac i
3: 100 percent agree with that and, and duval's duval's role in this whole thing cannot be understated and you know being one of those guys like you honk that has, has gained weight in the past and then went ahead and lost it i can speak to how much better I feel about my ability once I've lost that weight. I mean, when you start feeling stronger, you walk around differently. You walk around saying, well, what can I do? How fast am I? I mean, what? How how much better could I be? And I'm saying that, like when I was 30 at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. But these Division One athletes, as they're getting stronger and becoming faster, they're going to play faster. They're going to hit harder. They're going to relish the opportunity to grow and be a bigger person. Matt,
2: Matt can I, I can I interrupt you for a second? Because what you're saying, absolutely. But you're saying like these guys that they'll be happier, right? I mean, they're, they're gonna they're gonna have a bigger smile on their face because they're in better shape than they've ever been. How about right. when when uh, Duvall was at Buffalo? When he was with the Bulls, yeah. and he was coaching Khalil Mack, and he showed the five photos of Khalil Mack oh from gosh. his freshman year, then a redshirt freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. And here's a guy that you know now he's out there in the pros. But you saw him over the course of five years, and not only physically does he look better. By the time he was a senior, my God, he looked like a you know he was ready to go pro. was a monster. He, yeah, he looked physically like that. But it was the but Duvall focused on the face. His face, yes. his freshman and his redshirt freshman and his sophomore years, he's kind of growling at the camera and he's trying to look all tough. And and Duvall's even kind of calling him out and saying, nah, that's all fake stuff. You're just trying to, you know, you're trying to intimidate someone." By the time he's a junior, and by then, definitely by the time he's a senior, and he looks unbelievable as a senior. He's got a huge smile on his face, not trying right. to look intimidating. He just he looks confident. He looks right. like a guy that is ready to go out there and and do everything he's done since then. Right. And Duvall's like, "Yeah, that's." That's a kid that he's happier. He's he's better. He's 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 bought in. It was it was great to see.
3: When when he talks about to, you know, cultivating that leadership, um, that's what the summer conditioning. That's where you guys can really start to step up and become leaders. You know mm-hmm. they, they you know when when those expectations are laid out in front of them and their and their position groups are you know keeping each other accountable. You know, they can do that can be cultivated a lot through through summer conditioning. And and Duval, you know, you've already heard him kind of talk about how he's put it on the players to get that going. Um I think that 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 will be such a huge huge portion of that's,
1: it. That's a um, good good question, Mac. Uh, how much uh coach coaching involvement occurs during summer conditioning and how
3: much is that on the players? How much actual coach Well, you know, that's that's there? the thing too, you know, the they, uh, you know, they have that cleanup practice that they're going to have after the spring game. They got right. that one additional practice, and and, and Ross talked about that. That's actually going to be uh, they're going to kind of go over some stuff and a few more teaching moments. But the big thing that they're going to take away from that is this is how we want your individual workouts going mm-hmm. in, the, you know, in the fall. This is how we want this stuff to be going. And I just think again, that just speaks to these guys' overarching big picture concept they have these guys and it's not just x's and o's and it's not just your system it's culture and i know that's such a hot button word optics you know whatever you want to call (laughs) it but they are building a culture from the floor up and and when they get those guys to buy into that and the quicker that happens the better the team we are now now i'm not that 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 is a process. That that part has to be a process, and I have no idea how long that'll take. But that just is one more of those things that this staff already knows that we need to do this. We need to get this going and let these guys take ownership of their team, their position, their group, their bodies, their workout, and go.
2: So, yeah, and and very specific to your question, there, Dave, about like what can they actually even do with them over the summer? I right. mean, it, historically. You know, you always say that the the strength coach is their head coach over the summer. He's the guy that gets to spend the most amount of time with them. But it was a few years ago, and Mac, you can probably correct me on the exact number if it was three or four years back, but the NCAA, at at some point, they've opened it up, which has allowed coaches' assistants to, to have, like, one or two hours. I'm not sure what the exact amount of time is, but they actually have a little bit of face time that they're allowed now with their position groups. They can go over some film and stuff, and even if it's just one or two hours a week, that's at least something that wasn't allowed before and you want to talk about helping to speed up a transition, that's one way of doing it too. Absolutely. So
0: sure. So
2: th- there are some mechanisms that the NCA's allowed now that gives you more
3: opportunities to at least get coached even over the summer period. Which is totally reasonable when you consider I mean it's it's a, it's a, a year round sport. And it also is nice that frost's window overlooks the weight room. I mean if you <laughs> were to happen to draw something on there with a dry erase marker <laughs> <laughs> you know. <It's> <laughs> Well, as, as Frost That's
2: says, we don't just want their bodies sweating; we want their brain sweating. And uh, <laughs> and I saw some brains sweating this last weekend, and I think I think they'll be sweating over the summertime
3: too. I mean, they'll they'll be they'll be ready come fall. All
1: right, all right, good stuff. All right, anything. Hey, else? Boomer, real
3: quick, Boomer, I I know you weren't at the coach's clinic, but um, our kickers. <sighs> The legs look strong this year. My man, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. We needed, I really yeah. don't. So
0: I was going to ask about that. <clears throat> see what you got. I spent my weekend watching the Ohio State spring game, so that's all I <laughs> to, uh, well, We can talk about Joe Burrow then, I guess. Yeah, oh, my I, goodness. They, he looked good, actually. He's, they got a decision to make as far as quarterback goes. They got three choices, and what do they want to do? So it'll be interesting to see. Right, it's hard to, to get a good get read, read on Ohio on. State spring game. They really didn't tackle, so it was kind of an odd sort of. Yeah, I,
3: I watched some of that, too. It was yeah. weird.
0: Uh, it, it's but hard to read much from that, but
1: uh, yeah. To Max' yeah. point though, so Caleb Blightborn uh, starting to earn a scholarship,
0: hey? Well, about time yeah, someone was, does. Yeah,
3: he was denting the roof on every punt. I'm just <laughs> telling you. I mean, that guy, he's got a strong leg, and so strong, in fact, the uh, he's they're talking about him taking over kickoffs too, possibly place he's kicking. A big guy, huh? I mean, D- I who is the walk-on Dave? not Pickering, but That's the other Cole guy from from. East. Yeah, He's got a pretty good late team. In fact, I'd say the worst. No, we're not We're not saying that. I, I'll, I'll say the youngest kicker. <laughs> looks like he needs the most work. But he's on scholarships, so then. That's, that's cool.
1: Yeah, going forward, I, I would not mind if we never uh, had a scholarship uh, punter, kicker, or long snapper ever again. Because I feel yeah, I like think, we can always get those guys. I think um, that might go by New the States. wayside of the tackle. They can be awarded afterwards, but yeah. we don't need to go out and get one. Uh, because it's just... When there's enough enough talent in state, no doubt about it. Yep. All right, guys. Uh, anything else on football? That was a great segment. All right, guys. Let's uh, take a break and we'll be back with a little knee basketball in around the van Horn.
0: You're listening to the Go Big Redcast, and now the basketball.
1: Alright guys, next on the Go Big Red Cast, let's talk basketball with a little knee basketball. And uh you know, the program ha- took a couple of hits uh this week. We had a very valuable assistant coach, Kenya Hunter, uh leave uh the program uh off to uh Yukon. Is that right, Boomer? Uh, yeah. yes,
0: correct. Yeah, he went to UConn.
1: Mm-hmm. And then uh one of his prize recruits this year. That was due to come in. Xavier Johnson uh, asked for a release from his uh, letter of intent uh, so he could go elsewhere. So that's not good news for Tim Miles and company. Um, so what does that uh, result in? Tim Miles could say one-year extension from Bill Moose, uh, which it's only one year, so that's not a lot, to be honest with you. It's really just giving him that one extra year to prove up uh, – that this year was not a fluke and next year's team should deliver on our NCAA tournament hopes. Uh, You know, since uh, Boomer was relatively quiet there in the last segment, I'll let him uh, tee this up. Uh, What do you think about the extension, and um, will we recover from the loss of uh, Kenya Hunter and Xavier Johnson?
0: Well, you know, my initial feeling on the extension is, you know, I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not sure what purpose it actually serves. If you want to keep Miles, you give him a longer extension than that. If you don't, and I, my gut feeling is I don't think we do want to keep him, You know, barring a big tournament run this year, what's the point to a one-year extension? This is there more money you're going to have to buy him out at? So it, to me, it just kind of seemed like a stopgap measure. I don't know if Moose has put a lot of thought into either what he wanted to do in terms of basketball or he just doesn't have anyone available to replace him so that's kind of how I'm reading that yeah you know, it's one of those two options and you know the loss of uh Hunter definitely hurts i mean that's i mean that's one of the big arguments for giving somebody like uh you know Miles an extension because oh it, you know if he doesn't have the extension it's going to hurt recruiting well our best recruiter just left i mean that takes the biggest hit right there and he's the one who recruited sure you know Palmer and Roby and you know got Copeland to Copeland, come here and, yeah and now you know Xavier Johnson's looking at going to UConn to follow him I mean those are the hits right there yeah uh you know it was not a good week for Nebraska ball I don't you know, I don't know what that's going to mean going forward I don't know what it means for guys like you know Palmer and Copeland to come back you know what are they going to do now How are they going to read this do they want to come back for this, you know, with uh, Hunter gone? I mean, he's the one who brought him there. I don't know what the relationship is between them and Miles necessarily, but, you know, they obviously had a good one with they, uh, Hunter. They have to make some business decisions mm-hmm. at this point, right? If, like they say, right? And I mean,
1: if it's in their best interest to come back, I think, you know, they move beyond Kenya Hunter at that point. But right. um, it, it doesn't help by any means, that's for certain. No, it certainly um, doesn't. Yeah. You know, Honky, I think you've mentioned this a bit, and, Mac, maybe you can chime in on, this whole thing with uh, the coaches' extensions and this recruiting thing and like, Oh, they're using it against him. And I mean, these guys, 40% of recruits transfer across the board. Uh, A lot of our guys are Juco guys. They're only gonna be there for a year or two. Anyway, is it really, I mean, the length of the contract make a difference at all. Or is that just, uh, just, uh, the the coaches and their, their agents making this up essentially at this point, (laughs) you know, I, I would
2: venture to say it, it doesn't hurt to have a longer term, you know, contract. I'm sure I'm sure he'd like to have it. I'm sure all the coaches would like to have that. I don't mind this situation this offseason right now. I really don't. We've talked about this with football coaches before. When you're going to make changes, it's all about timing, all right? And and I'll use some previous football examples, you know, you don't fire Pelini after a 9-3 and three season. You fire him after he goes 8-4 and four and loses to Iowa and takes sure. his hat off and says, fire me. You don't fire Solich after going 9-3 and three with the new staff. You fire him after he goes 7-7, seven and seven, if you were going to do that, right? It's about timing. The timing right now of this, I agree 100% with what Moose is doing. Um, he's giving a one-year contract extension, which I think is kind of the bare minimum uh, to reward a coach for the season that he just had, which was 22 wins. And thirteen in conference. Okay,
1: okay, I have to ask, what would be less than a one-year extension, half-year extension? <laughs> well, yeah, we're going to take semester, a look
2: at him again yeah. in January, and you know, yeah, we'll, we're, you know. but well, yeah, you give him a semester in books. But uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think. But look at this right now. I mean, he he walked in what Moose has walked into. What athletic director Moose walked into was a football situation that needed to be dealt with. He dealt with that, and now you're into basketball, and his basketball coach won the second most wins that the programs ever had in a season. He won 13 in conference. Um, and yet I think that he probably at least had his eye on maybe potentially some changes. I don't I can't say that for certain, but it it took a little while to get to this one year extension. So point is he settled on we this Miles is our guy next year, and Miles did enough last year, I think, to warrant that. Miles needs to prove that he can do it for a consecutive season in a row. I mean, that's the that's the timing of it. I don't think that this was necessarily the right time. Unless you had somebody, unless there was somebody out there hanging, you know, the Scott Frost of basketball coaches, I think that the 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 right move here is let's try to build off of what we did last year. Now, to Boomer's point, it's been kind of a rough week here with, you know, Kenya Hunter and, and now, uh, you know, Xavier Le- Johnson leaving. I don't know how much Xavier Johnson affects us next year. I've never seen him. Put on a uniform and play one time for us, but but moving forward, I think this next month is crucial for for Miles for next season because in the next month we expect to hear what Copeland's going to do. We expect to hear what what Palmer's going to do. For what it's worth, Roby threw his name out there into the into the the mix too with the NBA uh, committee. So I mean those things play a role. And the other thing, and I I'll, I'll let you guys talk, is that we've never really had that full thirteen man roster. For the seven years that that, or the six years so far that Miles has been here, we had that up until Johnson decommitting or you know getting out of his out of his uh, uh, scholarship. So the point is, it needs to be replaced now. You know we're back in recruit mode. We've got to get a thirteenth guy. We need to have all hands on deck for next season. It's that. It is that important. I think.
3: Yeah, the extension to me, as far as recruiting element to it. That that Dave you said it yourself perfectly. Forty percent transfers across the board. That has no bearing to me on the recruiting. No one's gonna use that against Nebraska. People don't need to use things against Nebraska for recruiting. <laughs> I mean that's their their point record we'll alone take. is is fine. I'm like, Oh, did did I have to get to that point? Your your coach could be fired within a year? That's that's a given. So no. But I do think that he did enough to earn the extension this year. You he had a good enough year to get that extension and right wrong and different it is what it is you know that that would be a hard fire for anybody now you got to make some hay when the sun's shining here dude it is time to keep a roster together it is time to improve the next year i am exhausted with trying to pretend that this team is actually better than it is you know, like, get to a point where it's be undeniable, Miles. If you want to keep your job, be undeniable. Put a team out there that can win on a consistent basis. And and don't give me any excuses going forward. You've had all this time to put together a roster and maintain it and has shown very little ability going forward to do it. Now, we've had some runs, and they've been fun to watch, but consistency is the furthest thing from what he is as a coach so far. and And... And to me, yeah, you, you you got your extension. You earned it. And and if you want to stay here for any longer than that, man, then next year is your year. And and after that, man, it is – I mean, if he had the exact same season next year, we don't go to the tournament, no extension, move on, let's go. Yeah. Because it's not going anywhere.
1: Yeah, I think next year is it. I mean, and he, he the wood loss record, he may not even replicate that, but he has to have the resume to get in, so – yeah, we got to go dancing. We got to yep. go
3: dancing. Short Good of questions. that, no excuses. I do not care if we're not there, it's your fault. Yeah. That's that's all there is to it.
2: Well, and did you guys see the the article that that Sipple did with uh, President Hank Bounds? I thought it was a great article and there's some great quotes in it and specific he was talking about with basketball. He's like there shouldn't be excuses and and we need to we need to take those excuses away. Sport. That's right. And, and to whether or not you know, should he have had a, another year added, or how does that add to his comfort level in terms of coaching? I mean, bound said, he goes, "I'll tell you this: uh, have you ever grown personally or professionally at a time when you were really comfortable? I don't think discomfort is a bad thing. I think that's a that's a really good quote i mean there's there are moments we're having a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of push behind you i mean nobody nobody wants to see miles success more have success more than us. we're not nobody." We don't want to see a guy get pushed get out. out. That is accurate. Yeah, I mean, I, I
3: would love Miles to be successful.
2: It doesn't. It doesn't benefit as fans. We don't want to see. We don't want to see the team next year not do well. We want to win the whole dang thing next year, right? Build upon what we've what we've done, and that's. I think that's the. That's what's, the Nebraska ball fan out there wants to see right now. They, we won twenty two and thirteen, uh, last year thirteen in conference twenty two overall. We want to see a season that that mirrors that. Let's not fall backwards again you know and sure. so that's that's the the key i mean we we like miles miles i think is good for the program overall but but it's it's been that inconsistency that's
1: that's why yep, where we're at all right um boomer any uh, last thoughts on nebraska ball maybe we'll finally actually put this uh <laughs> this uh, team to
0: bed for a, a few months uh Going no, forward. no, I think that pretty well covers it, although I'm pretty sure we said if we'd go back and listen to the tapes, I'd bet we probably said this last year was tournament or bust for him, too, so, yeah, well, he keeps surviving somehow, so. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and I think it's hard to predict a scenario where you go 22 wins, 13 in conference, and you don't make the tournament, and this is a very odd year, so. That's yeah. a
0: very Nebraska ball thing to do, though, yeah,
3: he, so. He kind of gets the benefit of the the benefit of the fact that some people feel he was sort of screwed over on the selection committee you know that kind of that might have bought him the year right there who knows yeah well i mean 22 wins and 13 in the conference normally would
1: have would have got you in the tournament right so it's just hard to yep. hard to separate those two things for certain ass honky that <laughs> <I've>... <laughs>
2: i'm still going to counseling for don't me, stoke so. the fire Dave. what do you mean Damn. wins
1: don't matter that doesn't make
2: any sense <laughs> I'm on special um, drugs that keep me from, from being
1: upset right now, so, so
3: <laughs> please continue. I, too, am on special drugs. <laughs> That's
1: right. Um, While well, sp- speaking of having needing special drugs to get through a season, the um, Nebraska baseball team yeah, and so we're talking around the Van Horn. Around the Van Horn. Uh, is really struggling, mightily at this point. Well beyond what they should be struggling. Um, uh, we've talked about the pitching uh, staff getting hit early with losses, but at this point, uh, it's an absolute debacle out there. They lost to UNO tonight. They lost to K-State last night. Uh, They did split uh, two-game series versus Iowa, Um, but at this point, Nebraska is likely looking uh, from the outside in on the Big Ten tournament, let alone Mm -hmm. actual postseason play. Uh, Boomer I don't know what else to say about it besides uh, just a really bad year.
0: Yeah, this you know, the injuries to pitching hurt early, and I think that just kind of carried over and infected the rest of the team. They, just, they start slow, and these last two games are good examples of that. You know, we got behind the first inning to UNO, and we got behind early to K-State and spent the entire game trying to chase them, try to put something of a rally together, and have been falling short. Uh, you know, the bats just aren't there in a lot of these games, especially the opening games of series. We're usually getting pummeled. And those, yeah. Which is kind of the worst part about it. That's when you should be, you know, putting your best picture out and looking solid. But yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: Schreiber actually is having a heck of a yeah. Year. He's having a great um, season, but he's not getting anything yeah, else with him. I mean, wasting the, an entire yeah. Right now we're entire. at about I
0: think what is it minus point one in the offensive, you know, versus defensive runs per game, and that's really skewed so thanks to that Cal Poly series where we racked up, you know some runs in two games. I guess I'd be curious to run those numbers without it. I'm sure we're getting well outscored by by opponents. So it's just kind of a breakdown all over. It's really disappointing. Especially given, you know, some power in the Big Ten. That some of the teams have looked okay. This would be a year where you could this is Possibly a year get that a couple teams. 10. You could have made a good run and you know built an RPI yeah. up, not just from the non-conference for a change this year. And Creighton's, you know, playing good baseball. That could have been good wins for you in a non-conference. Wichita State and... has
1: actually played out. We talked about that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 frustrating. You know, you look at the Big Ten. You got uh, an in- Indiana team in the top ten in the country right now. Yeah. Uh, you've had other other schools like Illinois um, in the top top twenty five. Uh, Michigan has won 17 straight games and is eight yeah. zero in conference. Yeah, we got Minnesota a lot of teams looks all right. And... Ohio State looks good. Iowa is actually playing well again. Um, it's just it, it was a year to be had, um, and it would be a great Big
3: Ten tournament there at TD Ameritrade. Yeah, I wonder Can what it would be
0: without that. Yeah, without Nebraska yeah,
3: Mac, there, I'm curious. Let yeah. me ask you, baseball guys, a couple questions because I haven't, I have not been able to follow them very well. I just have seen the record so far, but. One, is there any chance that this season could turn around? And two, if that were to happen, I mean, like, what would have to change? Do you know what I mean? Like, can can, are we done? Is this season over? Well, you got to get in, what, top
0: eight to make the Big Ten tournaments? I mean, you could make it. You're going to have to turn it around fast. There's not a lot of room to screw around anymore. Okay, so at what point are we are we done? How would I well, do I, I
2: think it, do we it, play like Rutgers fifteen times? We play <laughs> Rutgers three times this I
0: weekend. think they're up next, actually. Yeah, so that's there's our chance, I guess. If you want to
1: make a move, it's Rutgers do it quick. is in eighth position right now at four and five in conference. We are actually at eleventh at three and seven. Oh man, yeah, and so we have to get to eighth. And so, yeah, you go sweep Rutgers at Rutgers this weekend, for example, which we, I, we have zero proof that that will, that will happen because they haven't done it all this year. Um, that would get you going. The problem there is is opposite to um, Nebraska basketball is that the baseball team actually ends, I think, with Indiana and Illinois. Yes. Top, you know, a couple of the top teams in the conference. So from an RPI standpoint and win standpoint, great, but... Odds of you just trying to get enough wins to actually get to eight is going to be the challenge, and that's all you're trying okay. to do at this point is to to salvage the season, is get in the, the Big Ten tournament in your home home
3: state and try to make some noise there. Right? It's the only only way you can that save is our the only season. that is the yeah. only way we dig out of this is got, just yeah, or, to get to eight in the Big Ten, just to possibly uh, advance the season. Our RPI right? is 120 right
1: now has no chance of getting there without going on a a massive streak, which they just simply, and so to your point, Mac, of like what do we have to do to make that happen, it's the pitching. I mean, you know, the bats have been silent at times as as well, but we have to have better pitching, both starting rotation and bullpen, to have any chance to make (sighs) any sort of run. And, boy, that's hard to fathom right now. Okay. and I don't know what that, that means.
3: Was very sad. That I'm it. very sad by that answer. But, you but tell, thank you you're for telling being me I'm a baseball fan. And I'm, I'm very sad about it. I yeah, mean, we have
0: 12 conference games left, so you don't have a lot of room to or time to make up ground. Six yeah. of them are against Rutgers and Maryland, and they're right in that eight nine slot in conference. So okay, so you you how can't many wins back together, away from eighth?
3: Uh what Rutgers is back.
0: eighth, so they're four and five right now, and we're three and seven. So there's room. Oh. I mean, a, well, all
3: right. We're yeah. a game and a half. So you're back. telling me there's a chance. All right. But again, then
0: there's the downside. <laughs> we end with Illinois and Indiana, who are you know two and four in the conference right now. They're both highly ranked and good teams, right. and we could easily lose all six of those, which would probably could they be
3: resting up. players at that point? Is there? Does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I, I do I, have. I, I
1: like. I like the optimism. I do have a quick question for you guys. I know
3: going into the
2: to the season. Uh, that we talked about how the Big Ten, baseball-wise, how, you know, we were just getting in with basketball, we were talking about RPI, and how we were saying in baseball that was really going to hurt us this year, that the Big Ten – I'm just curious how quickly maybe perceptions have changed. At one point, the Big Ten looked to be a, a detriment to us from a RPI perspective, and and, and now we're talking about that – That uh, I mean, how, how do you think the Big Ten actually could be doing postseason this year sands nebraska we're saying right now we're not we're not putting us in there but i right. mean how many teams no, do you think could I, get I in i think
1: so i mean i i did not make the statement that the big 10 would be an albatross this year from a baseball perspective i thought they would be a, a pretty decent um schedule and especially after the first couple of weeks of the season where we had some pretty good non-conference wins to to start off um i i think you're looking at i could easily see four not even really shaking a head there. I think Michigan, Indiana, Illinois are are highly likely and then I think you have folks like Minnesota, Ohio State and Iowa that are going to be there. Um they have RPIs right now that all could get you in. Um so
0: Yeah. yeah. Illinois has got some decent wins. I mean, I think they swept their three games in the Pac-12 Big Ten challenge. They beat yeah. like UCLA, Arizona and somebody else I can't remember the other one. So, you know, there's been some good plays by the conference, and we've got some good wins. And, yeah, I think probably three to four teams is probably easily fair Easy barring some massive collapse. Point. I wouldn't yeah. be
1: that worried about it, really. Yeah, it's going to be a good year. Mm-hmm. And Nebraska may not even make the tournament. Nope. So.
0: Plenty of tickets will be available, I suppose, for the Big Ten tournaments, so maybe we should go.
1: Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting to see Low how trip. that plays out, and I'm interested to see what, what pushback Erstad actually has. I mean, it, I think it's the combination of this is his sixth year and he'll have made the tournament three years and missed it three years. And this is only the second time hmm. that he probably will end up, you know, really not even threatening, uh, which not bad. If you're making the tournament 50% of the time, the problem is he hasn't won a game in the tournament. This is starting to it, sound familiar. Like,
0: have we talked about this earlier today? Or he's like or one six that, in six in yeah. the NCAA
1: tournament play. And so that's the frustrating thing. It's like, you know, it's a combination there
3: where you're like, are we really moving forward at all there? So you baseball guys, is 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 Erstad in any threat of losing his job, or should he be? I, I well, don't think well, he's he he in he, any he, threat. First of off, does Moose know we play baseball? Has he talked to
0: anyone yet? <laughs> I mean, it took a while for the basketball thing to come together. So it's true. I don't yeah. know if he's in threat now, but it's certainly starting to warm up a little. You know, I think. Conversation is starting
1: your, to turn, your, yeah. Your question was good, Mac, in the sense that, should he be uh, under threat? I think mm-hmm. the answer is yes, because considering okay. the resources we throw at that program and the attendance that we typically bring to that stadium, there's no reason for us to struggle this much. No. Um, and, then, and then the, the disappointing the thing, thing sure, you look at but, a
0: team like a uh, and M. I I mean, how many of their players are from Lincoln and are turning out yeah, quality baseball, I mean, that, they're... You hit the nail on the head there, Boomer,
1: is like recruiting wise, we have to keep these players at home and there's too many that are leaving the state and, mm. and they're just, and then we should be able to be recruiting the cream of the crop out of the big 10 footprint because mm. we are from a um, a fan interest and support standpoint, are heads and tails above everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so there's no excuse for us to not be recruiting better than what we are Especially at the pitching staff, i mean it's just it's just not acceptable yeah we have that's we
2: have a Norris kid going to Kentucky i mean there's
3: I hear you on the on the in state side of things, and yeah it's ridiculous but that's interesting, he gets a complete pass on that. I didn't even know that. I didn't even well, know what you just said about at, those Texas A&M kids going down to... Or those yeah. Lincoln kids going down to Texas A&M. Yeah. Why does he get a
2: pass well, on that? Well, let's, let's be fair, too, though. He also did win the conference last year. So, I mean, this is...
3: Absolutely. I, I don't right.
2: think that this is something where where he's in immediate danger or anything. And, and knowing the competitor... I don't think he's in danger either, sure. but... And knowing the competitor that Erstad is, I think anything we just said, he would probably agree with. He'd probably be the first one to say, too, I mean, yeah, we've got to do better than this, so... Mm-hmm. Um you know i it, it's tough because in so many other sports it's always about getting the, the 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 guy who you know was the star on the field get him back here, you know bring bring that Nebraska guy back, and in this case, it's hard to talk about Erstad that way because he is that guy, and so and he 's had some success it's just you know this season certainly they're struggling,
1: yeah, and I think it really at uh, the end of the day, we have to decide what we expect from that baseball program. And it is just one year. They got us to tournament three years out of six. Then, but is that acceptable? Is that enough, right? And uh, I, you know, Erstad. It's interesting in the sense that Frost, assistant coach at major Power Five program, offensive coordinator, gets his chance to cut his teeth in a a group of five school and has an amazing uh, you know record of success. Then he comes up to Nebraska to play, you know, to coach football here. Erstad gets the job without any real coaching experience at all um, and has actually produced quite well considering the lack of background he's had. Um, But from a a resource, again, a resource perspective, now we're in a, a, a conference that's not as good as we once had with the Big 12, but it's getting better and with a resource perspective, do we expect more than what he's delivered? And I think the answer is yes. Yeah, I think you're right. And can other coaches would uh, like Brian O'Connor, the the coach at Virginia, who played at Creighton and and whatnot, would that be a, a, a would he deliver more than Erstad these last six years? The answer is probably yes. Um, could we get him? Probably not. I don't know though. I, it is is there other other guys out there that could could be better at recruiting than Erstad, which is always difficult for someone who uh, comes from the pro ranks and had had to deal with that at any point? Um, maybe um, I don't know. Uh, right, I don't think he's on the hot seat right now, but if this happens again next year, then that could change. Yep. Good Van Horn, guys. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up, guys. Um, we want some uh, parting shots. Let's uh, start with Honky. He usually has three or four of them. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> do have a couple
2: tonight. Uh, the first one is uh, we're recording this on on April eighteenth, and that is uh, twenty two years ago today. Brooke Berenger, uh, his plane mm. went down front by Raymond, and uh, we posted a tweet here tonight. Uh, it was a couple week or a couple of years ago. I was in Denver with you, Dave, and on the drive back, I took a different route and went through Goodland, Kansas, and was able to go to the grave site, took some photos, have a good buddy of mine, uh, Gary, who's a, a loyal listener. He lives up in Norton there, so it was kind of right along the way, and it was just a chance I posted some of those photos there. There's a little Nebraska uh, flag that's next to the next to the grave, and of course, he's, he's buried with his father there, so... Uh, just kind of one of those years. I can't believe twenty two years has gone by. Uh, know about you guys? We were in college, freshman year it was right before the draft, and there was a good good chance he was going to get drafted there. So uh, always kind of a sad sad part of the year. Um, in addition to that, I guess a second parting shot. Aside from that, uh, it's the spring game this weekend, and the spring game. Uh, I was looking at Michigan State and. I know it was 32 degrees out, and I know it was cold and everything, but Michigan State's attendance they had almost next to nobody in that, that stadium. And I, even, even with the weather, that's a 10-win team with everybody coming back. And I guess all I can well, say all is – they
3: court dates, Matt.
2: <laughs>
3: <Ooh>. <laughs> oh. Ooh, ouch. Ah,
2: all sorry. I can say is for, for us, uh, I, I mean, I can't, wait. I can't wait for Saturday. We're going to have 90,000 people for a team that that's coming off a four and eight season and but the excitement level and what coach frost and that staff has has brought here i mean this is uh, i mean there is no place like nebraska there really isn't and uh and i think that will show out very well uh on on saturday
1: excellent all right let's go to mac
3: Uh, that was a great one Matt. i I was thinking the same thing even with the weather being a little crappy I'm, i'm really hoping that uh that everybody shows up like they said they were going to. And, you know, about the coaches clinic, circling back to that a little bit, you know, I've gone to not as many as you, Honk, but quite a few, over 10, and certainly for a while now. And this was the first time that as players were walking off the field after practice that that I've had at least three of them come up to me. Uh, two of them personally shake my hand and thank me for coming to, to the practice to watch mm-hmm. them doing that and then and some of the coaches as well as they were walking by very genuine very sincere about their things and I think that speaks about the head man trickling all the way down to their players because as you watch over time players take on the persona of their head coaches it's it's a natural thing and nothing excited me more than when I saw those guys come off there and, and they had that kind of respect in their eyes you can see that what's starting to happen with our guys is they're starting to understand the magnitude of what it means to have that in on the helmet. And there is no better lead man out there to show him that than Scott Frost. So that more than almost anything in that whole coaches clinic stood out to me was these players are starting to grasp where they are, who they're playing for, and what it means. So take it for what it's worth. Um, it impressed the heck out of me. Yep.
2: Dude, I yeah, just if I can er- I I don't like to cuss but that is a darn good point Mac and <laughs> I, I, I I'm right there with you I I can't say that that's never been done before at, at the clinics I'm just simply saying I've never personally had someone come up to me that way and to a man there was like three four five different guys they were coming up and doing that what a classy move and uh just man go big red <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, all right Boomer what do you got man.
0: Uh, Well, uh, what I've got is a little, you know, just kind of unrelated to uh, what the sports we've talked about. It's just uh, another athletic contest. I just kind of wanted to note the uh, passing of uh, former wrestling great Bruno Sammartino. Uh, He he Mm. left us today. um, Champion for many, many years in the WWE era. And really, you know, anybody who grew up watching wrestling or, you know, no matter 80s, 90s, even today, it wouldn't be what it was. You know, without a guy like Bruno or San Martino, you never would have had the WWF the way it was. So anyone who grew up watching that, you know, probably owes a debt to him. And I'd also note that uh, while we were recording this, I received news that uh, also a mid-Atlantic wrestling great, uh, number one Paul Jones, passed away as well. So noted champion in the southern area and uh, tag team champs with uh, Nebraska's own Baron von Raschke as well. So just ah, a lot of a lot of the legends the are, are yeah, job. a lot of the legends are leaving us. So just uh, remember your past people and you know.
2: We, do we need to it's induct true. the Baron, uh,
0: Absolutely. So we've got a whole year to work on the uh, committee now, so we're going <laughs> to get Bo- that started early.
2: And, Boomer, we didn't get a chance to go over this tonight, but since you are a special teams coordinator next week, um, I, 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 we need you to talk about the new kickoff rules and how that might uh, oh, affect oh, football yeah. in the future.
1: Absolutely. So. True. All right, guys. Uh, Great stuff tonight. Let's call that a Go Big Red Cast.
3: Spring Game.